Is he Paul Revere or Patrick Henry? A possibly central figure in the Egyptian uprising emerges, and the streets of Cairo flood with people once again. I'm John Hockenberry with Celeste Headley, and this is Wave of Change for Tuesday, February 8th, 2011, explaining and experiencing the push for democracy in Egypt and the Arab world. Welcome to the latest edition of our podcast from The Takeaway, our partners, The New York Times and the BBC. Over the next few minutes, we're going to take you there. The streets of Cairo are filled with spontaneous demonstrators, once again, waving red, white and black flags. They've been inspired by a media event that has had the effect of organizing a force that so far has eluded organization of any kind. In this case, it was the release of a detainee and then his emotional interview on television. The details? Wael Guanim, a marketing executive for Google, who created one of the hugely popular Facebook pages that called people to protest for democratic reforms in Egypt, was detained by Egyptian police for 12 days and released only late yesterday, claiming that he was grateful to Google's efforts to find and save him. He did an interview for the private Dream 2 TV channel in Cairo. Here's an excerpt. First of all, I said my condolences to all the people who were killed. It was a peaceful revolution. We didn't want to do any damage. Don't focus your cameras on me. I'm not a hero. The real heroes are the youth who are behind this revolution. By God's will, we're going to clean this country of this rubbish. We'll have more of that interview for you in just a moment. But first, the impact of that interview was what compelled a new wave of protesters out into the streets. While Ghanim's sincere emotional outrage for the loss of life during the protests caused yet another huge challenge to the Egyptian government. John Line of our partner, the BBC, was there as this young man's impact was literally pouring into the streets. The remarkable thing is it's inspired a lot of people who hadn't gone to the protest before. I'm seeing people, maybe they're just too scared to, or they hadn't quite been energized un- until now. Uh, particularly the families. I-, I saw one woman with her young child, and she came up to me and said, is it safe to go? And I hadn't come there yet, but I, I thought it was dangerous, but I-, I wanted to come and have a look today. And so it's an incredible re-energization of this movement. Just at the moment when things seem to be perhaps slightly running into the ground and the, uh, the government was kind of playing for time and talking about constitutional committees and so on, and people suddenly realize what's really at stake in, the, in this whole movement. Clearly, it gives the initiative, in a way, back to the protesters just when they'd lost it. They're already talking about an even bigger protest on Friday and beginning to think about other tactics, maybe marching on the state television station or maybe even on the presidential palace. That's the BBC's John Lyme there in Cairo earlier today. And really, our face in the crowd today is this Google executive, Wail Ghanim, who after 12 days in detention, where he literally was blindfolded in isolation and had no idea of the news events exploding in Egypt, was suddenly set free and spoke to an Egyptian TV station. Ghanim created one of the social network sites that called for protests against Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak. Here now an excerpt from that interview. Ghanim explains that he knew nothing about any demonstrations or casualties until the last day of his detention. At the last interrogation, he says, they told me what happened. They told me everything that happened. Then in a moment seemingly prompted by the female Dream TV presenter, accompanied by this musical soundtrack, she proceeds to explain to Wild Ghanim about all the young people who died, calling them innocent youth, roses of Egypt, she says, who sacrificed during the demonstrations. Wild Ghanim begins to emotionally come apart on camera. He starts sobbing as the presenter pleads for him not to cry. He places his head down on the table, sobbing, and remains that way as the presenter flashes picture after picture of young people 
who died in the protests. At one point, while Ghanim lifts up his head and tries to address the audience. He starts sobbing as the presenter pleads for him not to cry. He places his head down on the table, sobbing, and remains that way on camera as the presenter flashes picture after picture of young people who died in the protests. At one point, he lifts up his head and tries to address the audience. I want to tell every mother and every father truthfully of the people who died. I'm so sorry. I swear to God, it's not our mistake. It's the mistake of those who are in charge of the country, he says. And don't want to leave their positions. As the presenter watches then, he softly says, I want to leave, and walks off the set. That's the audio of the moment that millions of Egyptians saw on television, a moment from a contrite and defiant young Google executive, Wael Ghanim, that brought people once again into the streets of Cairo. So what are we seeing here? Is this young man a messenger or a political leader? Is Wael Ghanim a Paul Revere warning the masses or a Patrick Henry driving them like a revolutionary? Mika Sifri joins us now. He's the co-founder of the Personal Democracy Forum. He's the editor of techpresident.com and author of the new book, WikiLeaks and the Age of Transparency. Revere, Henry, Mika says neither. But depending on how this turns out, what happened today might just be a one-if-by-land, two-if-by-sea Paul Revere moment. He's obviously a skilled organizer in the new Internet vernacular in terms of using tools like Facebook and, and Twitter which isn't surprising given that his day job is as a marketing executive for Google in in the Middle East. But I I find him to be a fascinating new example of of leadership in the way in the interview he protests against being made into a symbol or being anointed the leader that is so in tune with the the sort of nets way of doing things and it's not um, it's not a personal humility you're saying and this is the really interesting point it is it is clearly the character of these net communities that form spontaneously that's right leadership in the old sense of of the man on the white horse is now being replaced by people who are really great network weavers the other um, thing the other thing that's really interesting here is that the people mm-hmm. of cairo or, or of egypt who showed up in the streets today in response to the interview on the the television channel, are clearly responding to the power of not his leadership, of of, of his humility. In a sense, he, he is a surrogate for all of them, and people have said this over and over in the crowd today, which is a very different demonstration from what we've seen over the last week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's still an incredibly fragile moment, um, and I worry that our media, as well as traditional broadcast media, will do to him what they do to, you know, these sort of spontaneous new leaders, which is uh, push them onto a pedestal and disconnect them in some way from their connection to their base. And we will forget that there are probably a dozen or more other key online organizers who were also running some of the Facebook pages that were central to this mobilization who are still under arrest. The other huge element to this story is that this is an executive of Google. In any sense, does this project Google's power, potential or otherwise, in a nation like this in so much political turmoil? That's a really good question, and I I bet that um, people inside Google are 
scratching their heads and trying to figure out exactly their relationship to him. He is making every effort, uh, just judging from his Twitter feed, to uh, ask his supporters to not use Google's logo or anything, you know, in association with his image. And so I think there's definitely uh, some kind of a separation going on there. Google, it's very interesting, though, um, and I think this is a reflection of the values at the very top of the company. Unlike other major uh, Internet platforms, Facebook, even Twitter, uh, Google has probably the strongest corporate position in support of free speech internationally. It has time and again leaned in a much stronger defense of the Internet as this open public space that it is helping support rather than just, you know, define it by its narrow corporate interests. Well, finally, uh, while Ghanim uh, does represent something that I actually posed to a Google executive more than a year ago, and that is, does Google have to have a foreign policy? Of course it does. That that executive said absolutely yes, and this is clearly more evidence of that. Yeah. um, You know, they have had to navigate very complicated map of of varying laws, country by country. You know, in the United States, we have fairly broad tolerance for uh, obscene speech and offensive speech, but other countries have very strict rules. Uh, You know, in Germany, can you, uh, you know, search for information on the Nazis? No. Google has to change its search results country by country. So it already has a foreign policy. if you will. And and a power that, at least at this point, as you try to imagine what the Egyptian generals are doing behind the scenes responding to this new character who was on no one's radar, a, a power that dwarfs what what the, the Egyptian government's power is at this point to even mo- move ahead. Well, yes and no. I mean, I, I think that this is a great example of how people using the Internet have become a wild card on different national and global stages now, right? Julian Assange on the global stage and on the national stage, we're seeing it here, for example, in in Egypt. Um, But being a wild card doesn't mean that you quite know how to use that power. Um, It's clearly destabilized what used to be a overly stable country uh, in good ways. But the, the fight to democratize Egypt is just in it in the first innings right um, and I think the the critical question as we watch events over uh, unfold over the next few days is whether they can take this explosion of energy and excitement and and sense of freedom and uh, organize it so that it it really does cover the entire country and makes it impossible for the status quo. Uh, to continue, and that really is, uh, uh, no one knows really the answer to that yet. That's Mika Sifri, author of the book WikiLeaks and the Age of Transparency. Before we leave you, we're going to explore for a moment just how much the government is both detaining protesters and leaders like Wael Ghanim and suppressing information on the number of casualties during these protests. Here's Heba Moreyev speaking to the BBC. She's from Human Rights Watch, which is trying to keep track of information that's becoming increasingly hard to come by. We believe that there is a great deal of pressure on hospitals and especially state hospitals to downplay the number of fatalities. And uh, so far, there's been a reluctance on the part of the Ministry of Health, which has released statistics on numbers of injuries, to put forward the real number of fatalities because they think that this will further inflame protesters. 
Today's takeaway comes from Daniel Williams. He's a senior researcher in the Emergencies Division of Human Rights Watch, and he was held in captivity in Cairo for 36 hours last week during the protests and spoke with Takeaway co-host Celeste Headley this morning. Good morning, Daniel. Good morning. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm doing well. Maybe you can tell us exactly what happened to you when you were uh, taken captive. Well, I was visiting the offices of the Hisham Mubarak Law Center, and then a policeman, some state security people, those are plainclothes agents, and some thugs with clubs and sticks gathered us all together, sat us down, eventually handcuffed us behind our back, and uh, several hours later took us off uh, on a journey through Cairo that ended up at a military base in the northeast part of the city. You know, Daniel, you're, you're talking about being detained at a military center. There, there's been this uh, long-running debate over the role of the military, and, and people have been keeping it distinct from the role of the police force, the security police. Uh, what kind of uh, interaction did you see between the military and the police, if any? Well, the military were overseeing this operation, and it's something we've been trying to look in uh, I look into for several days. I think this distinction between what the military is up to and what the police or uh, state security agents are up to is uh, perhaps um, not accurate anymore if it ever was. As our uh, one of our other researchers in Cairo puts it, our focus is shifting uh, from just police detention to detention harassment of international journalists, bloggers, democracy activists, and human rights uh, activists by military intelligence and military police. This is a development that uh, raises lots of questions. So, So, Daniel, before we go, how worried are you about the demonstrators who remain in the square and about this sort of uh, light of uh, democratic uh, uh, enthusiasm being snuffed out? I think the main goal of the government is to get that square cleared and return to some sort of normalcy and not negotiate under pressure. Nonetheless, from our point of view, these past abuses must not go forward. We've documented torture. We've documented a lot of things over the years under Hosni Mubarak. If it goes forward, then this movement, so to speak, would be for nothing. There from the takeaway, a conversation with Daniel Williams, senior researcher in the Emergencies Division of Human Rights Watch. He was held in captivity in Cairo for 36 hours last week during the protests. That's it for this February 8th, 2011. You can see the full video interview with Wael Guanim, the Google employee and protester from Egyptian TV, by going to our website, where we'll be following all these events on the next Takeaway, along with the New York Times, the BBC, PRI, and all of our other partners. Join us right here for the next edition of Wave of Change, explaining and experiencing the push for democracy in Egypt and the Arab world. With Celeste Headley, I'm John Hockenberry. Thanks for joining us, and remember, we're always on at thetakeaway.org.